Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 1 The Hearts She had three hearts. Why? she asked her mother when she was very young and got such a heavy frown that she did not ask it again. There was a heart she had not met. She sensed its presence. But that pulsing came from far beyond the tumbled stone walls circumferencing their yard, and she was not allowed past these. Another heart she had held, a little warm thing with petals, but she was instructed to bury it. The exchange of a soft, bud-like heart for soil on her knuckles had been a hard one. She had cried until morning, quietly, into her pillow. And the third, they said, beat in her breast. She thought she could feel its faint rhythm when she laid her palm flat against her chest, but always faint enough to make her ask whether anticipation invented the tiny movement she felt. She lived with her parents in a small cottage far from other habitation, set like a cupped pearl amid green hills and trees tall and proud. Her father had cleared land at the end of their valley, and he tilled its dark earth and kept sheep for fleeces on the slopes of the rising hills round about. He left their home in the mornings and returned at night, and the little girl had never seen the husbanded fields nor the flocks of her father. Neither did she meet the few lads from the distant village whom her father employed as shepherds during the sowing and harvest seasons, when he could not leave his crops. She remained with her mother in the tiny cottage and its garden spilling out behind only catching distant glimpses of travellers on the curved road that dipped down from the northern cleft between the hills, looping with wide berth their cottage and garden, and passing away south to the village where it lay beyond the horizon. Often these travellers were only single silhouettes or a pair, but sometimes she saw family groups, with wagons making their slow way down the disappearing road to the village and beyond to the far sea. When she reached her ninth winter, she wondered for the first time if the other children she occasionally saw also possessed three hearts, or rather, had possessed. 
The possession, she thought with a throb, was past. She rubbed her palms on her overskirt as though wiping away remembered dirt. The thought was a new one. In later times, she used it to mark that beginning of the heart-finding quest for her. Because, as she only afterward realized, it was the first glimmer of an awareness and interest in some other creature than herself. No matter that the interest be fleeting and more than half curiosity, still it meant the start of care, an early flower of love's blossoming, though the full summer was far yet. She understood about summer, the way summer came to the world about her. The bound vines on their garden poles would take in the rain with the low-lying herbs her mother had laid out and the spokes of a fallen cartwheel drinking in the sun. She liked to wander down the short, narrow paths worn by her mother's feet and peer at the new growth during spring, marking the progression toward the full-world summer. But her own heart, when she thought of it, in her own heart, she never felt the gentle swellings of buds that her mother's morning glories put out. She thought it must be dry, like the cracked winter ground, if it indeed bore resemblance to anything. This thought had occurred to her when she was very small, and in the spring she watched her mother watering the garden. Her mother was bemused and angry when, some days later, she discovered her small daughter soaked and shivering beside the empty watering can. The little girl caught cold, but she complained not at all, sneezing and thinking with hope that her heart would grow with the garden now. Her disappointment that summer came heavily. Some weeks following her twelfth birthday, an old woman began to pass by their home in the early mornings. She made rather a cacophonic picture, for she wrapped herself in so many oddments and patterned fabrics that they interrupted one another like a mantle of half-uttered sentences. The girl had seen her now three times on the road, though still too far to make out her features. Her skin, the ruddy grey of mountain ash in shadow, hid them cunningly at any distance. On the fourth morning, the old woman came rapping at the garden fence. The young girl had been kneeling among her mother's radishes, trying to weed, when the old woman called over the gate in a surprisingly gruff voice. A moment, the girl called and ran for her mother. She was a peddler, they learned, come through for a week's stay in their village. The girl's parents did trade in the village and knew some of its inhabitants, though they themselves lived almost too far from its outskirts to be considered a part of it. Still, they knew of this woman's arrival and her business when she finally came to their gate, and she was the first in the girl's memory to be allowed entrance within the garden walls. 
The mother looked over her wares with a tight mouth, carefully masking her interest. Finally, she waved the woman away and said she couldn't possibly buy anything today, perhaps tomorrow. The old woman coughed, nodded, coiled and uncoiled a thick blue scarf from her neck and said she would come back. The girl watched the interview from the garden, hungry with curiosity, her deep-flecked amber eyes following the colloquy. Her parents did not mingle with the others in their village except to buy and sell, and they never welcomed guests. Errands, the mother ran. Seasons passed and left the girl untouched by the wide world, unanswered, with a great silence weighing heavily on her slight shoulders. And so, when the peddler woman caught sight of her lingering in the garden, gangly and shy, a dark sheen of hair over skin green as moss, with an eager glint to her aspect. She swelled against her many layers and spoke to the girl. Long walking over the width and breadth of the country left the peddler little company and filled her with sights, about all of which she had strong opinions. She was not a kind-hearted woman, and did not speak to the young girl out of pity or compassion, seeing her loneliness. She merely loved to thrill, to be the first to kick up fields of new-fallen snow, to feel the comfortable satisfaction of a young, wide-eyed face fixed resolutely on her own. She didn't go out with the eyes like that, she... the old woman began that day. Her tone was almost thoughtful. She liked to give her comments an air of indifference, as though her attention was busy elsewhere. The girl's brow wrinkled. My eyes? Folk will know you're for cleanling. Nothing in your head, and ready to be led by the hand of any light clear swindle, the woman said decidedly. You'd buy wares off a lamia with those eyes. The girl had not heard the words lamia, or cleanling, or swindle and the sentences made but hazy sense to her. She asked, curious, What is a lamia? Here was one myself at your age, half wishing could have made it so, said the old woman, nodding with importance. She flexed her limbs beneath her weight of garments. Couldn't it bear the blood of it, though? Delicate stomach. Lamia sly folk. Won't blanch it a gutting. Don't cross with them here. There's no more powerful or beautiful, nor wise neither. Crafty, I says. She coughed into her right sleeve. I'd give my weight in gold to be a lamia at that, but not to sit by one at tea time. And she broke off into throaty barks of laughter. The girl sat amazed, listening, her open eyes fixed on the old woman's face, and the woman basked in the incredulity. What is a gutting? The woman took her time in answering. 
She adjusted several shawls about her, shook out her arms, and said, "'I can't just go about saying that, little cleanling, for one, the god is dead sit against it, and if there is any might have more throw than lay me at him. Awful grave sort this, eh? And dull with it, forever making rules. Suppose the me I hate him for that, as long as they've been around, and mark that's long and long. They've never so much as let him touch a single heart of theirs. The proud and beautiful don't need it, not from him, they say. And that's the way they have their guttings, to keep their hearts alive. She clucked her tongue. Brave, sharp women they are, to keep from him. All the rest of us, we're weak-legged, slow-brained, have to live with dead hearts if we don't fancy being his slaves, but can't watch the guttings or pay for Alamia's work. Vague impressions from the old woman's prattle began taking shape in the young girl's mind. The forms of tall, robed women holding their glowing hearts before them, eyes iridescent with triumph. A grey form, near to the ground, reaching in vain for the hearts, too heavy and small to come close. She imagined the women laughing, running swift-footed with cunning, far beyond the dull creature's grasp. She felt an ache in her chest, and the breath she drew next came out in a sigh. She lifted her head to the old woman, considering her next question. The Lamia, she said slowly, they can grow a heart. She paused and added, timidly, afraid of how much she wanted the answer. Could they grow mine? The old woman glanced at her, already losing interest. She needed to visit three more homesteads before nightfall, and the light was beginning to slant. "'And you listen, Chet,' she said impatiently. "'They grow their own hearts, and precious secret their methods be too. Those with good gold can persuade them to do it, but they won't say how. And the little I know ain't pretty. Leave them be.' "'But how?' began the girl. "'Hush up!' I can't idle here talking all the day, and that to a cleaning I wouldn't know a lame if it slit her own gullet and talk with the trees doing it. Be off. And the woman shook herself, turned, and left the garden at a shuffle. The girl sighed again as she watched her go. She knew she could not ask her parents about the lamia. She turned to the silence of her home and disappeared in the doorway. Three days later, the woman stopped by on her way out from the village. The girl's mother had promised to buy some oddments off her, which put the woman in a good mood, which was to say a talkative one. She bustled from the house and saw the girl again, mudded from the knees down and grime between her fingers. Bates, says it, she said. The little girl nodded mutely. Can't stand him, 
said the old woman, matter-of-factly, coming and shifting her many trailing clothes with a grunt, so that she could plant herself on an overturned barrel beside the dirty girl. Mate for me. Nothing of these weeds and grubby roots. Teat natural food. But there's not all say it as I do, more as a pity. Suddenly dwarfs feel it like that. You sit at their tables, you can be sure to have a right sort of feast. All roast and meat shining with the oil's bones, and oh, there's what I fancy. You have eaten with dwarves? The girl had halted her work among the beets, hungry for conversation. An earthworm oozed past her left foot and was swallowed by the earth in slow gulps. Was it the worm or the earth which gulped? Lars, no. Catch any dryer eating with them. <laughs> Leastways in their own holes, I say. That's no to speak of travelling dwarfs. And I've eaten with scores of me in my time. There's few I haven't had cause to eat with, much as I'm back and forth selling. You meet a dwarf in any alehouse, they'll order the mates of the place. But you'll not find it like to the dwarven holes. Not hospitable folk to any ain't dwarvish, or you'd not be finding me here too come with you trying to sell trinkets up and down the country and never home to lay me head. Dwarves they know how to live, silent, deep under earth, with caverns thick in gold and fine jewels, and long banquets for their dead kings more often than you could blink. The woman sucked in air and coughed it out again, her ashen fingers plucking at a burnt orange scarf over her shoulder. The girl was fascinated. This, this was what she wanted. Someone who would tell her things, anything, that told of the world beyond her home. And perhaps among it all, what she wanted most, the way to regain her heart's. She asked, Do the dwarves feed their hearts like the Lamia? The old woman stiffened then, her long, grey, lanky cheeks and heavy brow seeming to drain of expression. Twarves nothing, she said meaninglessly. She'd like to know where you get your cook brain ideas. Feed like Lamia, bah! She did not know, and had never asked. And to admit ignorance was one of the only sins left in her estimation. A silence stretched between them, and the young girl, confused, supposed that pursuing the question of dwarven hearts would be unwise. She said in a conciliatory voice, You've seen a lot of dwarves, then? The woman grunted, somewhat mollified at the intimation of wide experience. Enough of them, yes. Twot know what cause they have for all the travelling they do, but you're more likely to make a brace of dwarves in the wilderness than a single elf. And I've seen wilderness and wilderness, what with my journeyings. There's none you could talk to knows more about dwarves, I wot. I could tell you a pretty story or two, believe you me. Most folk finds them uncanny. Tassel turn like me, I always understood him. Suppose they're most like me as any other bane of clapped eyes on. 
keeping their counsel, not speaking to nobody concerning their affairs. I'm close-mouthed as much as any dwarf you find. She nodded curtly and leant back in the wake of this blatant untruth. The girl took her blindly at her word, to the exclusion of her small experience thus far. Why won't they let you live with them? she said simply. Well, they would, I think, the woman said slowly. Only their appearances to be kept up. Dwarves don't mix with dryads as they can help it. Would sit a bad example if they took me in. Small wonder, says I. And I've no hankering the ghosts tearing up jealousies too heavy for bearing. I see a dwarf. We just look at each other. And we know. If things was different, I'd be down with them sure as you can spit. She sighed briefly. She stopped in once more before leaving those parts to deliver the three wrapped parcels the girl's mother had finally bought from her. It was two months shy of summer. When the woman arrived, the girl was not in the garden. She was, in fact, sleeping uneasily in her room, with a slight touch of sickness the changing seasons had wrought in her. But when she heard the gravelly voice near her home's entrance, she pushed back her thin blankets and shook herself once before stumbling out. She caught the woman just before leaving and asked for speech. The woman nodded, broad as she felt in the recent sale, and with time to spare now that she had coin to justify it. Blasted hot it is, she said with her customary grunt upon sitting. It was in truth somewhat cool, but doubtless her layers supplemented the scant temperature. The girl wondered briefly what the woman wore during the summer months. She felt a swell of excitement at the company, and the eagerness showed on her face, like the unself-conscious, quiet panting of a young pup watching morsels of food go from the plate to its master's mouth. Perhaps this time, just perhaps, one will fall unheeded. Last time this sort of heat hit, said the woman, both my boots burst their laces, and I'd gone on bare feet over two miles, clear from one town to the forest and through. God, what I remember how those stones blister, all that heat soaked into him. A good thing my feet are as tough as the rest of my hide. Three minutes pass and I don't feel a thing, not a blessed thing. Puts me in mind of an odd happening that. I was... She paused, sucking in her upper lip as she thought. Seven winters back. Remember it clear as spit, though? I'm not one for going all soft-headed with age. Me, I keep my memories. And that's no small thing, what with all the ones I've got long life like mine. But this one... She shifted back on her heels contorted her legs briefly and stretched them out before her on the earth. She looked strangely childish, and the girl before her seemed very old, 
with the grave expression she wore. A beetle with a shiny blue and black carapace trundled to the edge of one of the woman's hems and stopped, entirely frustrated of purpose. She didn't notice, and continued, I've been gone three days without shoes again. Turned about from where I was headed and hadn't hit the village when I should have. Should have found it a day and a half before. But the country didn't look just right from when I'd journeyed there afore. Odd tall trees the light I hadn't seen nowhere. Pasty bark like moonshine, and feathery little leaves way up on the trunks. Crazy trees. Dunno sitting to grow like that, but blessed if they hadn't been grown a purpose. I could tell some would been at him trimming him and all, and the air. She shivered a bit, remembering, despite the heavy heat she said she felt, and her sweat sheened over forehead, thick cheeks and neck. Well, I wasn't right, that air. Like something, something too cold. The way it makes the mind sharp and fuzzy all at the same time. Didn't I like it? Found I was thinking of things I hadn't pondered on since I was a little clean and like you. Put my teeth on edge, it did. What did you do? The little girl asked. Her hands were twisting themselves slowly in her lap. She still felt somewhat feverish, but she was determined to stay awake and listen. Walked faster, of course. I knew I must have gotten into elves' country somehow. Still don't know how to this day. Ain't no more than twelve miles atwixt Brenner and Clough to where I was headed. And that old plain pine forest. Well, where I was weren't a single pine to be seen. I thought to myself, How did you know? The little girl interrupted. Her eyes... Wide and pale as lowed stars at dawn, remained fixed on the woman's face. No what? Irritation made her tone sharp. She did not like interruptions. She liked silence, odd, perhaps, while she talked. It was one thing being interrupted by an adult. They often didn't recognize quality opinion when they heard it too absorbed in their own worries, but a child like this, well, nothing it could have to say would be worth interruption. That you had come into elves' country, the little girl whispered, with unplanned reverence in her voice. She could not have told why she felt thus. The phrase, elves' country, had that effect on her, for all she had never heard it before. The ear, of course, the woman said impatiently. Don't know a thing, do you? Elves live in queer atmosphere, more for trees than people. It's slow and clear. They must taste it, I don't usually take to it, though the dwarves make it through all right. But it won't show friendship to us dryads. Most of us wanderers in the elves' country come back mad. Or sick to dying of a fever. Makes us see things aren't there. Or was, but ain't anymore. I so... But she stiffened with something like fear and broke off her thought. You ever find yourself in those lands, you run back where you come, just like I did. How do you find your way back? 
The colour's sharpen if you go in deeper. Just follow the feeding ones long enough. You'll feel the air change. And does the god of the land live there? The woman frowned. What's that? The god of the land you told me about, the the grey one. Does he live in the elves' country? The woman did not remember what she had told of the god of the land, and the forgetfulness made her defensive. Elves, no. You've a bundle of fool ideas in your pate, The elves they keep his rules or not, he wouldn't know. He's here, uh, lives in our country. Where? The woman coughed. The conversation was shifting to ground where her knowledge failed. He's got a home with some bunch away south of here. More dry land there, not so green as this. And he has a, a burrow in the ground. She swore and laughed openly, unkindly, staring at the girl. Chat, what are you talking of? A god in the ground? But I thought... The girl started, confused. Suddenly she realised she had made that up to go with her picture of the dull, grey, creeping thing she thought of as the god. She had made it so firmly up that she'd thought the peddler woman had said it. What was the woman saying now? All of alabaster and such... Very grand. Never seen it myself, as I don't much care for him. He's meddlesome. Nor do he care for us neither. Keeps to himself with his little tribe of oddments, and never a two out of line among him. He doesn't come here. Oh, well, there's that, she said vaguely, waving a hand. But it's only enough to drive me crazy with his talk of killing hearts or somewhat. Kill them alive, he says. Or his slaves, see, says. Never seen him. They say you can't. Why not? Chet, you through with your questions yet? The woman snapped testily. It's only to do with those folk belong to him already and live round his temple. Nothing for us to worry on up here. But the Lamia, the girl persisted, made uncautious by her fever. They keep their hearts from him. And everyone else has to give him their hearts? As if he knew what to do with a heart if he had it, the woman almost shouted. He hates our hearts. Ain't you seen that yet? He's a strangler, middler. He grabs at them to eat them. His slaves can't take a stick without his permission for it. And he makes them slap smiles on the while too. Nothing comes free with him. Nothing. Always a price. Don't know why you're so keen on knowing about him. Or to stay clean away, that's all. She ended with an unexpected squeak, a pitch higher than her rough voice intimated she could reach. She seemed out of breath or ill. Standing suddenly, she shifted her body forward and pushed at the garden gate, mumbling about parcels and customers, and disappeared down the road before the girl could say a word. She did not return for some time. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, K. 
Kay Ben Avraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon. We make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much.